It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss today. You know, the longest time, what I've been saying, if you are a leader in any corporation or in life, the smallest district or the biggest country, show you care about the problems, right? I talked about the, the seven things yesterday that I could be leading the show with. And I'm just waiting for the President of the United States to address some of them instead of just moving on to what he wants to do, whether it's the Glasgow Summit that never ends or it's the Build Back Better program we know nothing about or wrestling with the left wing as opposed to the so-called moderates. And now you have the president suddenly reacting. Oh, I have a supply chain program. Oh, it's too complicated for me to explain to you. So I just won't. Now, where's he going today? He's going to Baltimore to see what the problem is at the ports. The problem is Los Angeles But don't worry about it. At least you're looking at the water. And number two, your problem is delivery, supply chain. So yesterday at FedEx and UPS and some other Walmart come in and talk about some of these things, at least giving the appearance that he's carries engaged. But where's the cameras in there? Trump used to have the live sessions in there, whether it was gun control, whether it was. Uh, getting investment back, building back our country more, talking to scientists, whatever it was. I like the reality sense of of me knowing what's going on. And again, this administration's reacting. So before I get into too much detail, I'll tell you, Rich Lowry will put it all in perspective at the bottom of the hour. Uh, He has a couple of features coming out, but you know him as the editor of the National Review. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. At what point will you ask them to also start checking for vax cards for 5 to 11-year-olds? That's a very good question, and honestly, one we need to focus on now. We wanted to get to the day where we actually could vaccinate the youngest New Yorkers and get that rolling. You believe this? It's not like we didn't say it. Mandate Mania is coming to the kids, coming for the kids, and New York is first. Imagine this. You can't come into the gym. You can't go to a concert, a restaurant, watch a game at any level. If your first grader does not have a shot in their arm and a vaccine card, it's bad enough we must mask them for seven hours a day. Now we have to jab them. As we watch cases rise and clamp down California and hit rock bottom in the free state of Florida. Number two. What we're seeing now is this multi-layer connection between the Clinton campaign and this scandal. And it seems very clear that Durham believes that this was basically a, a campaign effort to dupe the FBI, and the FBI fell for it. I don't know if you know this, but Jonathan Turley isn't into hyperbole. No joke. Uh, and he just is a, just a facts guy, uh, professor of law at Georgetown. He's figuring out what happened with the Durham report through the Durham report moving on up. That's the chain of command in the ongoing probe as John Durham investigates the origin of the Adam shift of fool's Russian hoax. How I believe this prosecutor is working his way towards Hillary Clinton and why Jake Sullivan may be the first Biden night to fall. Number one. The U.S. Energy Information Administration forecasts all major home heating bills will increase significantly because of higher fuel costs and potentially colder weather this winter. 
Yep, here we go. Anna Warner of CBS, business correspondent, hurting every aspect of our lives. That's what the lack of action on economic stress is going to do to Americans as almost all items and energy prices are spiking and supplies wane. This is America. What's happening here? The products, the gas prices, and how John Kerry's green economy is taking the green out of our pockets on a regular basis, and he's still over there. I know. Plus, your outrage might just save you a pipeline. And that's what I'm talking about. First on what I just said, the L5 pipeline, there's such outrage about the possibility of bringing it to its knees and how bad it would be for our relationship with Canada and the blowback because they handled it so ham-handedly. Upon further review, reviewing the future of the pipeline that goes through the Great Lakes and goes through Michigan and into our country from our friend, the Canadians, why would we want to screw this up, this relationship? Yeah, I guess it was built in the 1950s and needs to be upgraded. So upgrade it. We just gave you billions of dollars in infrastructure, by the way, that we didn't have. And now you're going to get rid of it. But the outrage the public has shown and the letter that 10 Democratic or 11 Democratic senators sent to the president to do something about gas and energy prices. At the same time, they're considering shutting down a pipeline rather than upgrading it. I believe that the governor of Michigan voted to shut it down in May. And I think Canada just ignored it. Instead, we're just going to bring him to court. So where do we start? Hurting in every aspect of our lives. Listen to this. Uh, we just got this in. Inflation for October has come in hotter than expected, rising 0.9% from a month ago compared to 0.6%. Now, consumers are paying, on average, you're not imagining it, an average of 6.2% more for goods than they were a year ago. So while President Biden is saying his Thanksgiving is a hell of a lot better for Americans because he had a small gathering last year, Prices from a year ago have been the largest increase in 30 years, and you have trouble getting stuff. Food prices overall have risen 5.4% over the 12 months since 1990. That's the largest uh, rise in prices since 1990. Looking at meat prices, you can see how the sticker shock is hurting for many. Meat, poultry, fish, and eggs increase 11%. Beef, 20%. 20%. Uh, Pork, up 14%. Gas, up 50%. From a year ago, fuel oil increased sharply, 60%. Natural gas, 28%. I know so many people came up to me when I'm doing the President Freedom Fighter tour, and they said they had me switch to gas. Everybody convinced me to switch to gas. And now gas prices are going up. Electricity rising 6.5%. And the White House and the administration have touted a growth in wages at 4.9%. While the president came out yesterday and said, well, wages are growing faster than inflation, that's a flat-out lie. That wasn't yesterday, but that was last week. He had lib stuff that people can fact-check, as in their wallets. 10 million jobs opened, 7 million Americans without jobs. I'm finding this hard to reconcile. All this is Democrats in the administration are saying infrastructure spending and the next phase of Build Back Better will ease inflation. Nobody believes that at all. So here we are. We're going to spend our way out of this, correct? And what I thought Dana Perino just has a, a brand new dog. Um, and uh, obviously her dog, America's dog, just passed away. But she had a brand new dog. And she just said to us on television. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Percy is uh, the dog's name. Uh, you'll see him uh, often, and you should. Beautiful dog, six weeks old. But she said to me, inflation will surpass anything else in 2022. It doesn't matter what President Biden does. Nothing matters more than inflation because it affects everybody in this country in some way. And what's, uh, let's listen to Newt Gingrich, Cut 11. 
Look, I think both the senators who voted for this bill uh, and the House members of Republicans who voted for this bill, both of them undermine the core argument for a Republican Congress. Uh, the fact is that there's no reason to have voted for this bill. Uh, none of those 13 could tell you what they got and what they're paying for it. Uh, it's like sending your child out uh, to buy something and they put down $100 to get a 12-cent toy. Uh, the fact is that the, they have been manipulated by Pelosi. And uh, I think that it's—I it's, uh, was shocked uh, the 13 House members would uh, do this. Because they bailed out Nancy Pelosi. Not so much they voted with her, but they bailed her out because they lost six votes and they could only lose four. So what would happen is, for example, Mitch McConnell says Kentucky desperately needs infrastructure. I could not wait another two years to do it. Same thing with New York. She felt as though the people, Malatakis, Congresswoman Malatakis, she felt the American people in Staten Island, the Staten Island constituent she serves, wanted infrastructure. But it certainly bailed Joe Biden out. All of it feeds into, to a degree, the economy and the inflation because we're putting more money uh, into the system, devaluing the dollar further. Harold Ford, Democrat, but a reasonable guy. Cut seven. This is not a binary choice. Either you end fossil fuels and pursue a complete green energy platform. If I were in the administration tonight, I would definitely tap the strategic oil reserve, not because it's going to solve the problem, but it sends a message to the world that we're willing to do uh, things to, to enable ourselves to be sufficient. Two, we should, he should reverse the XL pipeline uh, decision, largely because I think it, it, it does the first thing I said, that it, it signals to the world how serious we are. And if you think about that pipeline, it's, it's, having that, it's transporting that heavier crude, which we can refine here uh, down in the Gulf. Three, I'd modernize, modernize our pipelines here in the country. We have to. Again, we, we're not saying we don't believe that green energy is the future, but we have to sustain ourselves now. See, when people talk like that, do you get angry? No. Well, I, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to spend on infrastructure. Okay, but you have to. Uh, how we spend is, is the, the thing. But he's saying that if you are a president that's truly moderate and reasonable, like Joe Biden told us he was, you would have done the thing that Harold Ford, a Democrat, just said to do because you got a signal to the rest of the world. You're going to jack up prices. We're going to drill more pipeline back online. America is going to drive that price down because we're going to produce so much. It's going to create a glut on the market, forcing these barges back in the ocean where they just had to wait because people weren't even using them. That's what the American people need. They don't need a Democrat or Republican. They need a reasonable per person in the Oval Office who cares more about his country than the party. I want to talk about what is left of his party. I know it's just an off-year election, but believe me, it's bigger. When you look at the ripple effects in the city councils uh, through New York and New Jersey and Chicago and in Virginia, they flipped a, they flipped the house there. You realize the American people are angry and they're fed up. You know who else is fed up? Moderate Democrats. They have gone out of their way to say, no longer call me moderate. Call me normal. Tell me this isn't an in-your-face to the squad and the 93 progressives in the House. Here's a tweet from Congressman Connor Lamb, who beat Senator Parnell, excuse me, Senator Candidate Parnell, uh, but for his House seat, he ran as a Republican in a very red area. And he cannot vote with AOC. And he says this, if you want a senator who runs, a so, runs as a socialist, feeds the GOP attack ads, and didn't help with infrastructure, I am not your guy. That's not how you beat Republicans. I know because I've actually done it and will again. I'm a normal Democrat 
who supports jobs and wins elections. Abigail Spanberg, I believe she's one from the CIA. She reacted President Biden's sweeping spending agenda, which we're about to be dealt with, have to deal with again. Nobody elected him to be FDR. They elected him to be a be back to. They elected him to be normal. Stop the chaos. So Axios writes, listen and hear moderate Democrats using a new label for their own politics. Quote, normal. It's a coded, loaded word exasperating their divide with the liberal colleagues. It's also a way in the face of the dismal election results to distinguish themselves from activist colleagues they're implying are abnormal and speak for them. Bad news, Joe Biden. Your message is, your message is not heard. He was only talking on a virtual conference with uh, Democratic members yesterday about keeping everybody together. You, you guys both know, you all know, I'm a capitalist, I'm not a socialist, but it's about time everybody just to pay a little bit, pay their fair share. It's fair, it's fiscally responsible, it's paid for, plus one more thing. It extends the refundable child care tax credit. Then he went on to just say, we got to stay together, that's what we won in 2020. They're not together, and if they stay together and they stay together to the left, it's in they'll they'll lose the Senate too. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Much more to discuss, but I don't want to eat up too much of this time and make it seem like we're in nonstop commercials. Uh, special thanks to everyone that bought tickets to tonight's our um, uh, tonight's signing in Madison, Wisconsin. So, uh, excuse me, Madison, Wisconsin, Madison, Connecticut. R.J. Julia is the name of the independent bookstore. So I look forward to being there. I understand I'm not going to hit traffic. Is that true? (laughs) Probably not. Okay. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks. It's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. This should not be one size fits all. In fact, an indiscriminate vaccine mandate in this age group will have unintended consequences. The Pfizer data did not power enough, meaning it didn't have enough children in the study to show some of those more rare side effects. About 3,100 children received the vaccine. Well, that's not enough to see, say, like the myocarditis, which we saw with adolescents. That was at about one in every 7,000. So when it comes to vaccinating these young kids, parents need to look at whether their child has had COVID before because there is not a strong scientific argument to be vaccinating children who have already recovered from COVID-19 because of their robust natural immunity. And you know who that is, Dr. Sapphire. So what, what grounds do we have to say something? So you have a young family in a city like New York, probably San Francisco, Chicago, Philadelphia. They're all following the wake of New York. And they'll say, I want all the kids vaccinated. Do you hear what that doctor just said? We don't know if they test positive for the virus in the past and have the antibodies. We don't know the kid's reaction. What responsible parent would vaccinate their kid if they weren't sure there were going to be effects that could put the kid into a hospital? That means that's your not only are you, you know, it's, it's different if a kid gets it where he, he or she is if you if you were out or at game or in school. But if you approve a vaccination, even if a doctor told you to, you're going to feel unbelievably responsible as that kid suffers. It is insanity. I thoroughly believe that they're going to be saying that get your kid vaccinated or basically don't do anything. And what's going to happen is a lot of Democrats are going to move out of states that are just intolerant of people's opinions and concerns when it comes to these unnecessary mandates. Uh, and that that's just going to be happening because you had the mayor of New York essentially say the same exact thing that I predicted that you watch. They're coming for the kids. They're going to be saying things like uh, it's time to get your kid vaccinated. You don't believe me? Listen to the soon to be former mayor of New York. Cut 20. At what point will you ask them to also start checking for vax cards for five to 11 year olds? That's a very good question, and honestly, one we need to focus on now. We wanted to get to the day where we actually could vaccinate the youngest New Yorkers and get that rolling. Really? Fantastic. We want to get to that day. Just wait. You know, you feel pretty good now. You got your two shots. You don't have to worry about it. You can go to your restaurants, go to your bars, go watch Billy Joel, whatever it is. And then they're going to say, excuse me, you got one week to get a booster? Really? Got to get a booster? And you know in, in Israel they're doing four shots now? Four shots. 
because they don't know about the durability. I think they dropped 35% in six months. They don't know how much that has to do with body chemistry or not. So all these states are suing to stop the next attack, and that's on private business, where businesses with over 100 have to get vaccinated. A court stayed this. The Fifth District Court stayed this uh, this uh, ruling, and they're waiting to evaluate it. And you know what they're telling these companies? These- out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Company? Do it anyway. Do it anyway. What do you mean? Now we have to ignore the law because you don't like the law is examining what you're doing? Here's Britt Hume, the, always the voice of reason, 27. But understand, first of all, what exactly this case is about. This is not about whether vaccine mandates are a good idea. It's not about whether states or municipalities or, 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 or counties can impose a, a mandate. It's not about whether c- companies can impose a mandate. It is simply about one thing, and that is whether the federal government, through the Labor Department and OSHA, has the authority under the law and Constitution to, to issue a nationwide federal mandate. Yeah. That's, I, I, I would like to think that the answer is no, you can't. I would love to think that. I would love to think these 13 attorney generals, maybe even more, are going to really have a leg to stand on and they're ready to try their case because there's a belief, and I was talking to the attorney general of West Virginia, there's a belief that the White House knew exactly how unconstitutional these actions are, but willing just to put it out there because they want the results. They feel as though by delaying, they'll be making progress. We come back, Rich Lowry. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You've defended, promoted, you even read into the congressional record the Steele dossier. Um, and we know last week the main source of the dossier was indicted by the FBI for lying about most of the key claims in that dossier. First of all, whoever lied to the FBI or lied to Christopher Steele should be prosecuted. But you the made President also spread Russian disinformation get... yourself for years by promoting this. I think that's what Republicans and what people who entrusted you as the Intel Committee Chair are so confused about your culpability in all of this. Well, I completely disagree with your premise. Uh, It's one thing to say allegations should be investigated, and they were. Mm -hmm. It's another to say that we should have foreseen in advance that some people were lying to Christopher Steele. But let's not use that as a smokescreen to somehow shield Donald Trump's culpability for inviting Russia to help him in the election, which they did, for trying to coerce Ukraine into helping him in the next election. None of that is undercut. None of that serious misconduct is in any way diminished by the fact that people lied to Christopher Steele. No, I think just your credibility is. And that was Morgan Ortega. It's on The View, uh, filling in for, I guess, Megan McCain because she's out of there and just was able to look at uh, 
Adam Schiff, though, is going to have a nice layup as he tr- continues to sell a book to maybe nine people that find him interesting, and instead was called out for pushing forward this alleged collection, connection between President Trump and Russia. It is falling apart before our eyes. I just don't know how many are paying attention because it is this is just collapsing, and I cannot believe the names that are coming up. The biggest right now is Jake Sullivan. So Rich Lowry is editor of the National Review. It's important, as Chris Christie said over the weekend, Rich, uh, to look forward. But is it possible uh, not to look back at this Durham report and think this this matters? Oh, of course it matters. And look, that, that Morgan segment was fantastic. That's the only time I can ever remember Adam Schiff being challenged, except for once, I think maybe before the first impeachment. I forget Bill Maher had him on and made him squirm a little bit. But otherwise, it's always kid gloves treatment for him. And and uh, that's one of those clips. There, there was one with Ben Shapiro arguing with a trans activist like 10 years ago. They can you, you can just watch it over and over again. I've already watched it like or heard it five or six times, and it doesn't get old. She was just so fantastic. But there, there's no accountability. I mean, the entire Democratic Party, the entire media complex um, was obsessed with the story for years, said the walls were closing in. Thought this stuff was credible. Adam Schiff promoted, as she pointed out, the, the dossier, and then it, then it all crumbles. And it, it, was, it was a partisan hit job taken up by the FBI that roiled and distorted our politics for years. And everyone moves on like nothing happened. No, no one says, "Oh, you know, I'm sorry, or I, I got it wrong, and I'll be more careful next time." During this whole period, I said, "Well, I don't think there was any collusion, but you know, if the facts show otherwise, I'll admit it." Um, but none, none of them admit it. They, they just they just move on, and they're supposed to be the, the people who are the arbiters of of truth and facts and fairness. It's, but ri- it's really galling. But, Rich, this isn't really about Trump. It's about Trump directly, but indirectly it's about us. The American people were not served as who spent millions of dollars, mm-hmm. the Intel Committee, investigating something that didn't happen, investigating yep. a president they said was illegitimate. So you know how many people on the bubble who aren't dug in with either party said, okay, this guy's illegitimate. The Russians help him win. Uh, he, uh, he used some international business deals to kiss up to Vladimir Putin. Now he owes Putin this. I mean— Every day, the FBI, every day, some leak to CNN for three and a half years. So think about the people around Trump that lost everything because they were lawyered up. They were sometimes forced to quit, fired. And then where do you get another job from here? No, all that is is absolutely true, and the FBI should have known the dossier was garbage from the beginning, right? It just as a consumer of news, when you read the thing, you're like, this doesn't add up. This doesn't seem like what what's a sound intelligence report. Uh, but they they drag their feet in interviewing this Denchenko character, and then by the time Mueller was hired, basically they should have known the whole collusion thing was nonsense. You know, he's hired anyway, and that, that drags on for whatever it was, a year and a half. So th- th- this is a travesty. Uh, I salute Durham. Anyone who lied to the FBI should be nailed to the wall, um, and, and we should know the truth. And I think where this is probably going is not some grand indictment of FBI officials, much though people might find that gratifying, uh, but, but probably a big report that at least gets the truth out there and uh, is a disinfectant to some extent mm. in retrospect for the sorry episode in our national life. Tell me if, if this is clear enough for people whose eyes glaze over uh, about this sometimes complex story. The way it's unfolding is this. Hillary Clinton's embroiled in an email scandal. She can't get out from under it. And then the report goes to Obama that she has a plan to Obama that she has come up with this Russia-Trump connection to overwhelm the email story and put focus on her opponent, 
Donald Trump in the summer of 2016. Obama knew it. Jake Sullivan's name comes up, now an advisor to Biden, working with the law firm that was hired to investigate Donald Trump by Hillary Clinton. Okay, so this law firm is investigating using Fusion GPS and who's using Christopher Steele to investigate Trump's tie to Putin. Christopher Steele never goes to Russia. He uses a source. His for, his source turns out to be Russian, but who works for the Brookings Institute, Deshenko. Yeah. So Deshenko has got a source. Do you know what his source is? His source is Chuck Dolan Jr., not the guy who used to own Cablevision. This guy is a longtime aide marketing guy with Clinton who worked under Strobe Talbot, who was infiltrated deep into Russia during the Yeltsin years. So he's got, con- he's got contacts all over Russia. It looks like the American is giving the Russian information, who turns around and gives it to Steele, never said it should be a dossier. Steele puts it into a dossier, hands it over and says, proof, this is it. When nothing happens with it, he hand delivers it to Mother Jones. Mother Jones publishes it. BuzzFeed uh, puts the whole dossier out there. The FBI, James Comey says, I don't know if this is real or not, but let me brief the president-elect on it. And it was yeah. supposed to swamp, swamp Hillary Clinton's email story. But out of nowhere, Anthony Weiner gets investigated. On Anthony Weiner's laptop, thanks to his wife, Uma Abedin, is all these emails. And it becomes clear that Hillary Clinton had emails she did not turn over, reopen the investigation, swamps any Rutherford connection, Hillary loses. Does that sound the way you understand it? Yeah. And, I mean, a couple key things j- jump out. One— Denchenko was investigated for potentially being a Russian spy, right? So, so, so here's a potential Russian spy in in, in the midst of this purported effort to un- uncover, you know, how, how Russia is controlling Donald Trump. And this this guy Dolan, if I'm not mistaken, did did work for Russian for for Russia. You know? so, yeah. so, so this is a side of the ledger that's that's more intertwined with with Russia. And then none of these guys, they're not over there in, in Russia full time. You know, Denchenko's there near Dupont Circle. The Brookings Institution, and and they're just hearing gossip from random people in Russia that that is passed along in this game of telephone to Steele, who spins it up. You know, Denchenko and Steele spin it up. So then it it was never plausible to begin with. It was never good information to begin with. And then it then it's uh, written down in the most lurid way. And and again, anyone with an ounce of common sense would would have known it was nonsense. That that you know th- this was third rate gutter gossip. But it is taken seriously by the FBI. It's briefed to Trump by Comey, perhaps, you know, to get it into the uh, – launder it into the mainstream media, you know, and that's when we get the reports about it. You know, they're like, oh, he's, the president's been briefed about it. It must be serious. And then we go on from there. So, again, th- this is just a, a, a sorry episode that never should be repeated. Dushenko uh, just now? What's uh, that? Yeah, this just came out. Dushenko has pleaded not guilty. He's He's one of the three indicted. Uh, they're working their way up the chain. Durham is taking his time. The problem is when Durham gets to this, bottom of this, we have everyone, uh, uh, everybody on both sides of the aisle praised him for a, being a quality, honest broker, including Eric Holder. So the first thing you do is kill, kill the lawyer and say he's partisan. The problem is we have clips showing how much faith you had in him. So I want you to hear Cash Patel. For those of you who say Trump's gone, Brian, Rich, Larry, get it's not a matter of that. Number one, 
I think it's important to know how he was distracted by this and how much it cost. In terms of human costs, Cash Patel, key aide to President Trump to the end, just said this on Fox News five minutes ago. But I think the target of the investigation is what's important now for Durham. And we were talking about Jake Sullivan earlier in the hour. And look, I deposed Jake Sullivan. I deposed Michael Sussman. My deposition is in the Durham indictment calling him out for lying. Jake Sullivan, I think, has the same exact problem. He testified under oath to Congress that he had no idea what the Perkins Coie lawyer, Sussman, was saying. Yet the Durham indictment shows communications between Jake Sullivan, the current National Security Advisor, and Michael Sussman about the Russiagate hoax. So either he lied to Congress or he's lying in the indictment. And he went on to say it's cost him, since he's involved in this and his name's all, the, you know, inextricably linked with Trump, they said, how much legal fees does it cost you as people try to investigate you for Trump's legal connections? He said over $100,000 and counting. And he had to open up a, what amounts to a GoFundMe page because I need some cash help. You work for the government, you don't make much money. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, me saying is, that. He didn't say that, but you way, don't. Yeah, this is the way special counsel investigations work. The investigation itself is, to a significant extent, the punishment because it distracts distracts an administration. It takes energy and resources from from people, puts you know psychological and financial stress on them. And I remember when the Barr letter came out, you know, saying that the the Mueller report found no collusion. I actually called Trump at the White House. To, you know, I was so outraged by this whole thing for two years or whatever it was to congratulate him. And he was just so angry. And what he kept on saying was they wanted to you know put my children in in jail you know i mean they're playing for keeps and you know it none of it happened because the facts weren't there but it was it was treated in the media all these people's reputations were were tarred on top of all this so it uh you know god bless durham i wish it happened sooner you know um and and the problem is a lot of the media is just ignoring it they're not mm-hmm. even bothering to discredit him because they they as i said earlier they just they've just moved on but there should be accountability for this so rich larry i be remiss in not doing my job if I didn't ask you with all your uh, all your knowledge and background and understanding of uh, how these political ups and downs go. How how um, how emboldened should Republicans feel after what happened last Tuesday? Very. I mean, it would kind of be shocking if they don't pick up 30 or more seats in the House. Um, now, maybe, you know, Biden gets this other spending bill and that helps him. But I don't think that the other spending bill, the Build Back Better, so-called, is, is very popular. That's what the polling indicates. So I, I think it might be a lose-lose for him. You know, if, if he doesn't get it, it, he looks incompetent. If he does get it, it's, it's not going to be a big boon because it's not substantively popular. And then, you know, maybe the economy gets better and the, you know, you get some indicators the economy is, is growing, which is, which is great. But then we get indicators like we got this, this morning that in, inflation is at the highest level in 30 years. And all the indications are that's what people really care about. And one of the problems they have with Biden, he's not focusing on the things they, they care about, uh, inflation perhaps at the top of the list. And it's just a, it's a tough thing to deal with. You know, he, he's not going to wave a wand and solve the supply chain uh, crisis. He, he shouldn't be spending money, which might make it worse at the margins. So I think he, he's in a, in a bad place. It's hard to see how it gets better in the, the, the next year. And if the environment is anything like this, even if, if Biden takes up some, it's still going to be a huge Republican year. Meanwhile, he's really focused on Glasgow. He cares about green energy. That's all the administration cares about. They are reluctantly showing they care about the supply chain and inflation. They have no interest in the border. They have no interest in getting our people out of Afghanistan. It's just amazing. It's, it's as if they're not trying to be successful. They just have some other thing they want to do, 
and it's we're getting in the way as the American people are getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first principle is like don't create unnecessary debacles, which he did at the border right at the beginning, and then he did in Afghanistan. All he had to do is is, is basically stand still on both of those things, and and it would have been fine. But he he created disasters. I think especially Afghanistan has kind of hollowed out his his presidency, at least for the the interim here. And just you know, I, I've been talking with colleagues on our podcast, you know, a couple months ago. Like, so you know, at the end of the year, is Biden going to be above or under fifty? You know, that's the question we were asking our, ourselves. We should have been saying, is he going to be above or below 40? You know, he had a reputable poll the other day, had him at 38 percent with maybe some some uh, if things continue to go wrong, some some more more uh, room to, to fall. And that's just a, a horrible place to be. Rich Lowry, so it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be intriguing. Thanks so much, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. Well, I hope you're one of the lucky ones to get a turkey. Evidently, we're short on turkeys. Do you believe this? Short on turkeys, can't find yams. How did, uh, how did the pilgrims deal with this type of tribulation? I think we have it much tougher. We should go ask some uh, Native Americans. Yes, we should do that. Uh, I should have brought that up. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think Brian Kilmeade, who we had on the show, you had on the show last week, has written a book about Douglas and Lincoln, and he's unearthed some things we didn't know about that relationship. Now, that relationship, what he unearthed, will probably unsettle some people on the side that they don't want to hear that because they think Lincoln was this, or they don't want to hear that because they think Douglas was this. But the fact that he's gone about this heavy, heavy research, deep research to uncover these things, I think only makes the public space better, stronger, and for that matter, the canon better. Brett Baer wrote a book on Grant, and he's unearthed things about him and his family and how he rose to power that will only help us understand Grant better and might put in perspective, for those who thought Grant was wrong to end Reconstruction, he put in perspective, Brett did, why that happened, how he saved the Union, how we were able to get the railroads across the country because he made that deal. I'm I'm a proud American. I'm proud of everything that's ever happened here. There's some ugly things that have happened, which I'm willing to confront, and I'm not unsettled by it. And there's some unbelievably great things, a lot more of that. We have to not be afraid of words. We can't be afraid of a few ideas. I don't want kids thinking they're an oppressor or oppressed, but I do want kids to know what happened in the 1800s and the 1900s and one of the reasons why neighborhoods and cities and communities look like they do. I'm not afraid of this, and I think any good, strong, uh, red-blooded American who pays his or her taxes, they won't be afraid of it either if we do it the right way. Harold Ford, that's why he does a great job. I mean, do you hear Democrat or Republican in that? No. It was a reasonable answer to CRT. In there, there was nothing. If you're a second grader, if you're a white person, please admit that you are an oppressor and that you're a victim. Please admit that it's endemic racism in a country that is inextricably racist and it was built on stolen land. That doesn't happen in his explanation. But in Brett Baer's book, it goes over Reconstruction. Is anyone proud of Reconstruction? Think it went well? Not a chance. Is anyone uh, pleased about what led to the Civil War, free states, slave states? No. But what was happening in the rest of the world? What is the document that we that was written that we had to live up to? What was the war that we fought in order to be a more perfect union? Who were the men uh, and women that stood out uh, to bring us forward through this time? It's all there. So while the rest of the world struggling with it, we confront it and we come out better along the way. You could do that 
without telling people red, white, and blue is always perfect, ignore everything else, we're the best ever. That's not education either. And, you know, as Lindsey Graham said, you know, I grew up, they were teaching me it was war of northern aggression. Uh, and they were told Tim Scott, South Carolina, it was a war between the states. But then he found out as he moved up in, in years, they started reforming the education, moving it forward. Uh, the 1619 Project, now it's going to be a book, uh, is, is picking out the negative part in our history and saying that's what our foundation is made on. That's the problem. It's not the problem telling the story. It's what they conclude our story uh, comes to. And our story is is one of constantly getting better and improving. And and what with the what Harold Ford is talking about is people wanted to take some early comments from what uh, Lincoln had said on the stump and even in Lincoln Douglas debates and say, see, this guy had racial tendencies. No, he was a person of his times. But what they also see is how Douglas felt early and how Douglas felt at the end going to sea as enslaver at the end before he died at that person's request. People don't want to hear that. He didn't forgive him for his actions. But he forgave him for things that happened in the past. He said, I ran from you. I didn't run from slavery. That bothers some people. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined. Uh, we're going to be, we have a lot of guests uh, lined up this hour. In fact, I also want to tell you, too, that we're being just waiting to follow the president, as guess what he's going to do? Uh, the president's going to go to the ports. Uh, he's going to go to the port of Baltimore, uh, and he's going to talk about supply chain, even though we have trouble understanding things. Scott Mann's going to be with us, too. You talk about screw-ups. The president exit from Afghanistan, one of the greatest screw-ups in American military history. We're still trying to get people out. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann has not wasted a moment. He formed Operation or helped form Task Force Pineapple, a group of retired Green Berets, Navy SEALs, and diplomats and reporters, all helping to evacuate Americans and their families left behind. Can you believe this? Left behind in Afghanistan. And a president who was told reportedly in the White House, don't ever bring up Afghanistan. Some people don't have that luxury. So I'll take your calls. We come to uh, from New York, a city that is about set to welcome tourists back uh, from other countries, and especially Britain. Evidently, we got a campaign to bring people back. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. At what point will you ask them to also start checking for vax cards for 5 to 11-year-olds? That's a very good question, and honestly, one we need to focus on now. We wanted to get to the day where we actually could vaccinate the youngest New Yorkers and get that rolling. Uh, that would be very interesting. Uh, we are talking to the mayor of New York. That's what he's saying. Hopefully he'll be gone soon. The mayor of New York bringing up the mandate for children. They're coming for your kids. Imagine this. You can't come into the gym. You can't come into the concert. You can't go to a, watch a game. You can't go to a restaurant because your first grader has not been vaccinated because this brand new vaccine has you a little concerned. And maybe your doctor says, I would wait and see. It's bad enough. We masked them for seven hours. Now we're going to shoot them up, please. 
Number two. What we're seeing now is this multi-layer connection between the Clinton campaign and this scandal. And it seems very clear that Durham believes that this was basically a, a campaign effort to dupe the FBI, and the FBI fell for it. All right, moving up. That's what one chain of command, uh, that's the up the chain of command in the ongoing probe of the John Dorham investigation, the origins of the Adam Ship of Fools Russian hoax. How I believe this prosecutor is working his way towards the former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. And why Jake Sullivan may be the first bite night to fall. Number one. The U.S. Energy Information Administration forecasts all major home heating bills will increase significantly because of higher fuel costs and potentially colder weather this winter. Yeah, hurting every aspect of our lives. That's what the lack of action on economic stress is going to do to Americans and is doing right now. Almost all items, energy prices, food supplies, and supplies when it comes to uh, gas and electric. The products, the gas prices, and how John Kerry's green economy is taking the green out of our pockets. Plus, your outrage might just save a pi- might just have saved a pipeline. And I'm talking about the L5 pipeline. Did you hear about this? So this pipeline comes from Canada. Uh, vital for us since the 1950s uh, through Michigan, uh, the Great Lakes uh, through Michigan, and this governor wanted to get rid of it. It had to be updated. It had to be maintained. I get it. But to get rid of it, to study having it go, the outrage that you guys have shown while you're paying all this money, 50% more when it comes to gas and electric uh, than you were paying while they're about to shut down another pipeline— you remember when the Colonial Pipeline shut down due to a hack? Can you imagine if the L5 Pipeline joins the XL Pipeline and being sidelined so John Kerry could look be on another cover of Time magazine? Inflation for October just in. This is new information, rising 0.9% from a month ago. That's a jump to 6% overall. Consumers are paying 6.2% more for goods than they were a year ago. Uh, that's a hell of a lot worse, unlike what the president said, hell of a lot better than a year ago. All six major food group uh, food groups saw pops over the last 12 months. Food prices overall have risen 5.4% from a year ago, the largest 12-month increase since 1990. Meat up 11%, beef 20%, pork 14%, gas 50%, fuel oil increased 60%, natural gas 28%, electricity 6.5%. There are certain things that happen that you don't have control over. The perception is, and I think it's 100% accurate, the president is choosing not to do this. Because in his mind, he feels if gas is high and it's painful, people are more apt to go to all types of new technology. Hey, I have news for you. If the technology's work is more efficient and makes sense financially, if it's even in the ballpark, Americans will go for it. But you have not shown that, but you're making Americans pay more in the meantime. Unacceptable. I find it stunning that the president's lack of action on this. There's a sense that he really, really, really doesn't care about what we're experiencing. And there's no more pervasive policy that will affect more people, everybody, on some level. Even like an eight-year-old, your gifts are going to be smaller, your party's going to be smaller. The car is, uh, you might be going on trips because you can't fill up the car. Anna Warner is a, is a business reporter with CBS Cut 9. The U.S. Energy Information Administration forecasts all major home heating bills will increase significantly because of higher fuel costs and potentially colder weather this winter. 
For the nearly half of U.S. households who heat with natural gas, the cost is expected to rise 30% this year. The 5% who use propane and the 4% who primarily use heating oil will likely see their costs go up 54% more and 43% more. For the roughly 40% of U.S. households who use electricity, prices are expected to increase just a bit, about 6%. We've seen a very large increase in both natural gas and oil prices. Halima Croft is the managing director at RBC Capital Markets. So what's behind the increase in the oil and gas prices? We've had this you know, global reopening from the pandemic, which has driven up demand for both natural gas and oil. Energy companies have cut back on investment in production because of the pandemic and are now struggling to keep up with demand. You've had historically low stockpiles, for natural gas, and there are real concerns about is there enough global supply to meet demand if you have a cold winter for natural gas. That's CBS, and it's just the facts, and the facts are brutal to a president now with 36% approval rating, even with all major news outlets in his corner going out of their way to report good news, but some just can't be avoided. It's embarrassing that the president is still pushing this big spend-a-palooza of $1.7 trillion. It looks like uh, the Wharton School did a thing, said it's not paid for by a mile. And the CBO says it's not going to have a score by November 15th. No moderate in the House has said they will even think about passing this until they get a CBO score, which tend to lean left, even though by definition they're supposed to be nonpartisan. And then you have the green czar— over in Glasgow, pledging that we're going to go clean by 2030. No more coal. Well, sorry, West Virginia, where I spent last weekend, you're out of coal. But you know who wants coal? This other country, which, according to some, is also on Earth, China and Russia. They want coal, but we have to give it up and make ourselves less secure. We could find a way to, uh, to have it burn clean. I'd be more into that. But instead, we're selling it to other people and pretending that, we're, uh, that we are making the world cleaner when it's not because China and Russia aren't participating. So the White House said on Tuesday it is not contemplating shutting down the Enbridge, Inc., uh, a Line 5 pipeline after Canada last month invoked a 1977 treaty with the U.S. to trigger a bilateral negotiation over it. Line 5 is the center of a long-running environmental dispute between Calgary uh, and Michigan that is embroiled in the Canadian-U.S. government, so it's up to highest level. So Gretchen Whitmer ordered Enbridge to stop operating the pipeline by May because of concerns the section running underwater in the Straits of uh, uh, the mechanic uh, could leak into the Great Lakes. The company ignored the order, and the two sides are in a legal battle ever since. Can you imagine that? This governor deciding to shut down operations of an L5 pipeline that trans, trans, uh, transcends the U.S., the hole from coast to coast? Canada's objective is uh, remains to work with the U.S. in these final treaty negotiations and update the pipeline, not destroy the pipeline. We already got rid of the XL pipeline. would have been great to get oil uh, from Canada into the U.S. to our refineries in order to clean it up. But we're not doing that. The supply chain is gummed up. Over 100 ships sit off the coast of Los Angeles. But the president's going to Baltimore. Yesterday, he called in FedEx, Target, UPS, and Walmart and others to talk about how to fight the supply problems. What Walmart did is said, I'm not expecting government to help. I'm getting my own ships, my own planes. I'm going to do it myself. And if we have to, and I think they're going to, 
uh, use their own truck drivers because things are so backed up because we're 60 to 80,000 trucks uh, truck drivers down that people aren't showing up to move things out. Noteworthy brands that are hiking prices, Del Monte, Ikea, Procter & Gamble, uh, Kraft Heinz, as well as Mondelez. I'm not sure what they make, but I'm sure I need it. Uh, inflation uh, will be a big, a big story as we talk about the price of products uh, and meat and eggs and everything else. Uh, retail price report was just released on Friday, an increase over 95% on agricultural products. No one's profiting. We're just trying to keep up. one 866 When we come back, I'll take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Every four years when this election happens for governor of Virginia, it's a tight election, it's a close election, and it is a bellwether for what happens in the rest of the country. What happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. And that is the Vice President of the United States, again, putting her foot in her mouth because what happened in Virginia was a big win for the Republican Party. What almost happened in New Jersey would have been beyond stunning. And what did happen in other, other elections would only be to read the tea leaves and to read the results, would understand the Republicans extremely, uh, excuse me, the country is extremely unhappy with what they're getting from Democrats. David Drucker knows all about this. Washington Examiner, senior correspondent and author of a brand new book, In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. David, welcome back. Appreciate you being with us. Hey, really great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, first off, your take on the results of Tuesday, last Tuesday. Well, To put it simply, uh, the vice president's not wrong. Um, What we saw in that election was a big swing among independents and swing voters and voters in the suburbs. And look, you know, Republicans can have a great day in a swing state or a Republican-leaning state. But what we saw was a swing against the Democratic Party in a plus-10 Biden state that had not elected a Republican for governor since 2009 and has not been elected Republican statewide in the last decade at all. And obviously, we saw a swing against the Democratic Party in New Jersey. We saw it out in Long Island in New York. Uh, We saw it in local elections all over the country. And what we've seen over the past 10 or 20 years with this succession of wave elections in midterm elections is that these off-year elections are often harbingers uh, where you begin to see movement and particularly when one party's in control of everything in Washington, right? Um, it's been particularly acute. And so, look, the Democrats were probably going to lose the majority in the House and Senate anyway, given their thin margins. But now it looks as though Republicans have an opportunity to run up the score pretty big. We'll just have to see how the next year unfolds. Senate's going to be tough, especially when you lost Sununu in New Hampshire. He would have been a real strong favorite to to flip that seat. Then you got to worry about Arizona. You have to Mark Kelly. He should be vulnerable. He's done nothing. He's uh, he should be cinema if he actually wanted to win over that purple state. 
and then you look at um, uh, Arizona and you look at Georgia. So the Republican and the Pennsylvania uh, with Toomey's seat. So it's going to be tough. But, David, looking at the big picture, uh, what do you think about that vote last week when you had 14 Democrats, excuse me, Republicans bail out the Democrats and allow Joe Biden to get his bipartisan infrastructure deal? Yeah, that was a really interesting development. And, you know, as I was watching things Friday evening, it's not one that I was expecting. But there are a couple of ways to look at this. First of all, of the 13, Brian, uh, three of them are already not running for re-election. So you really have 10. And the big complaint was not that they voted for it, because you had you know, nearly 20 Republicans in the Senate who voted for this bill, but that they voted for it before Pelosi had secured 218 Democratic votes on the scoreboard as the vote was happening, so that they weren't the ones that made it possible for the bill to pass, that that they, in a sense, bailed Pelosi out, gave her the votes before she had them from her own caucus. That's why Republicans are, are in particular so angry about this, because they always expected some Republicans to vote for this. And in fact, if, if the Democrats had not held this bill hostage to that Build Back Better $3.5 trillion reconciliation package— They would have had about 50 votes. Yeah, you might have. Exactly. Totally know where I'm going with this. But you wrote a column about John Katko, and you said that's an example of a Republican in Syracuse, New York, that decides to vote early. And and as soon as the squad started bailing out, they lost six Democrats. Katko got in early. And instead of waiting on the sideline and watching her go under 218. Correct. And that's why Republicans are are upset. They feel like he broke the dam of those dozen or so that were going to vote for this and let Pelosi off the hook. There's another way to look at this, though, Brian, and that is this. Now that this bipartisan infrastructure bill has gone to uh, President Biden's desk, it is no longer a hostage pulling centrists in the Democratic caucus towards supporting that big social spending bill. And so now they can be a lot more patient and take their time in trying to get a, a CBO score and negotiate with the progressives on how this is going to turn out. And it, in a sense makes Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema in the Senate happy to have gotten the bill they cared about most. Um, And in a sense, this good faith by some Republicans, both in the House and Senate, to get the bipartisan bill across the finish line puts less pressure on them to say, well, Republicans won't do anything, so I guess I should do something. So this might actually work in the Republicans' favor politically over the long term. David, let's talk about the future of the GOP, because uh, I was with Tim Scott on Monday. You know, I was with uh, Rick Scott. He clearly has presidential ambitions. I've been with Governor Christie. He clearly has presidential ambitions. We know about uh, Mike Pompeo. We know about DeSantis is is, uh, virtually locked in if Trump doesn't run. What is the future of the party? How much power does President Trump have right now? So I, I, I really tried to dive into this in Trump's shadow. And look. President Trump still has an enormous amount of goodwill with Republican voters, and that means he has an enormous amount of influence in the Republican Party. And that's why so many Republicans in Washington tiptoe around him or don't try not to cross him, because they know it will anger their voters. Um, And what we're going to see in 2024, and it's something that I really get into in Trump's shadow, is that you are going to see for the first time really in 40 years a collection of Republican presidential candidates, and this is particularly true if Trump doesn't run, but even if he does, that are going to present themselves to Republican primary voters as the next Trump rather than the next Reagan, right? So for most of our lifetimes uh, as adults, we've seen Republicans every four years compete to be the next Reagan. 
And in 2024, we're going to see them compete to be the next Trump. And some of them will do it subtly, promising Republican voters, I'll give you the best of Trump without the worst of Trump. And others will just be very overt and say, I'll give you the best of Trump with the best of Trump, because there is no worst of Trump. But this really is a generational sea change in the party in terms of how it presents itself, at least in a Republican primary. David, I, can't, I have to have you back. We're just, t- we're just touching the surface. What a great book. Trump Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. We'll talk about that because I actually think the Trump is going to run again in the new year, barring anything politically or financially uh, that stops him. David Drucker, thank you. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If tomorrow the order goes out from the president, I'm president of the United States, I issue an order, end the war today, begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. You hear me now? That's the truth. It will take a year to get them physically out. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. So that is Joe Biden when he's running for president in 2008. Uh, We found this. This was found on Twitter. The RNC found it. This is Joe Biden addressing a small cadre as he's running for president because no one thought he could win or should win. And that's when he was on the top of his game, whatever the top is for Joe Biden. Talking about Afghanistan realistically, even though his instincts have always been terrible, he was talking realistically, which turned out to be 100 percent correct. Too bad Joe Biden from two months ago didn't listen to Joe Biden from 2008 because he decided to get out in a matter of weeks. And we still have people behind. That's not my opinion. That's the fact. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann has been working on it since the ill-fated decision to leave when we did right before Labor Day. He is uh, conducting coordinated task force pineapple, a group of retired Green Berets, Navy SEALs and diplomats and reporters all committed to evacuating Americans and our allies from Afghanistan. Uh, Scott, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good to hear your voice. How are you? I know Veterans Day and you must be thinking about that must be really special this year because you see a bunch of retired vets act like they're still in uniform uh, coming out to do things. The State Department and this administration just didn't. I know you don't want to get political and I respect that. But this must this must really be a poignant Veterans Day for you. Well, it really is, Brian, on a, on a range of levels. And, you know, war is politics by other means, right? And, and, and what I will say is this Veterans Day, you know, I wrote an open letter to the president. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, um, but, but it's a lot of the things that you just talked about. And, and I brought up the fact that, you know, one of the things I'm very concerned about this Veterans Day is that our warriors have essentially taken the mantle and the responsibility for what Department of State and Department of Defense institutionally do. And so we've taken this group of veterans who are already, you know, have already run a ton of miles, been through a ton of trauma, and we've just heaped this on them as well. And that's a hell of a thing to have to endure. Uh, And I hope people are thinking about that as Veterans Day rolls around. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. I also heard, and I got to get clarity on this, that when the Afghans are coming here and putting on bases, they're basically turning it over to private foundations to start cycling these Afghans and uh, melding them into our society. And I hope they've been background checked. 
I don't know. I mean, it's hard to me when I see that chaos and hear these stories that they have been thoroughly background checked. But let's say for argument's sake, they have. That should not be. I mean, that should be a foundation's job. You evacuated them. You dump them on military bases. And then you tell a bunch of uh, Catholic organizations or to go get them homes. Yeah, I would say it even goes a step further is that, you know, there are these organizations, what they call us, Brian, and what they've been calling us, they being state all along is citizen liaison networks. And and what you have in this situation is you have an unprecedented number of citizen liaison networks that have stepped into the breach, many of them veterans, both on the safe passage side, but also the resettlement side. We are in an unprecedented spot right now. I'll tell you one other thing, too. Our uh, film that my nonprofit's been working on called Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret, it tells this whole story. It's coming out tomorrow at 9 a.m., for free. I hope people will watch it because it's told by combat veterans and people will think we produced this thing after the collapse. We didn't. We just saw it coming and it will absolutely open your eyes into what's happened over there and here as well. I I also feel for you guys, especially because on November 11th is such a feeling of pride and uh, and what you guys fought for and the individual battles that you won, the way you adjusted and shaped the battlefield in the most horrific fighting that everyone said Americans want to avoid, you guys did it. The urban fighting in the middle of Iraq and Afghanistan over the course of 20 years, you adjust equipment, you adjust tactics, you adjust commanders, and you and you did heroic things. But people are going to remember how it ended. And they keep using these broad, tar- tar- these broad strokes like you lost. They didn't lose. There's nothing you, nothing about losing with Afghanistan. We never wanted that country. We wanted the terrorists out of that country and tried to leave responsibly and then just to said, the hell with it. Let's just get out of here anyway. Yeah, what we have right now is, you know, we had 20 years of keeping al-Qaeda and international strikes at bay. We built extremely deep relationships and capacity in that country, and we did. We bailed on it, uh, and now you have at Afghan allies at risk. You have veterans right now who are in in moral injury and mental health. And we have a nation divided at a level that we've never been divided, Brian. And for veterans, that's like watching your parents beat the crap out of each other as a little kid and not being able to do anything about it. We've lost our story. We've lost our myth as a country. And I think for veterans, this Veterans Day, that's the hardest thing of all is watching vision in our own country. That's why we put last out LG of a Green Beret together to tell the story by veterans because we're sick and tired of watching Americans beat the crap out of each other over issues that we went overseas to keep over there. And that's the worst part to me. It's egregious, and it adds to the moral injury. And this Veterans Day, my challenge to Americans is, hey, let's see if we can't recapture the narrative that right now our combat veterans are volunteering and trying to show that we're capable of as a country. Yeah, that would be uh, it would be great. And I love the fact that you're taking action rather than sitting back on some think tank or call uh, you're in action right now. I saw this story today in The New York Post. The Pentagon reportedly is still trying to rescue Americans trapped in Afghanistan. Number one. Oh, thanks. Have they ever? St- I mean, that's interesting. You had to go meet with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Milley, to say, this is what we're doing. This is the coordination we need. And he seemed amenable to it. Why you had to meet with him about things that they should have done and demanded before any president would leave the battlefield is unbelievable to me. Are they showing additional dedication to getting uh, friends and family and affiliates out of Afghanistan? I mean, these are unprecedented times, and and I will tell you, I cannot speak to the American citizen issue as well as others can, Brian. We've been primarily focused on 
Uh, I know there are Americans still at risk over there, uh, but we've been focused on at-risk Afghan special operations forces because that's who we primarily partnered with. And I will tell you that there has been continued interest from the Department of Defense on this and some level of interest in the Department of State. We want to work with them on it, but frankly, it has not been to the level that it needs to be. Right now, a barber from Bagram Air Force Base is eligible for, like, number three priority for evacuation, but a commando who fought to the last bullet is 13 of 13 priority. They're not even looking at him. Meanwhile, his family and him are going from house to house being hunted. It's got to change. And we need Department of State, Department of Defense, and Congress to step up and change legislation to include our Afghan special operators and special air wings. I mean, they fought till the end. This is where the, I mean, there's all kinds of moral injuries here, but for us, this has got to change. And we need politicians to step up and do that, and, I, and, and professional uh, military leaders. And I have not seen that to the degree it needs to be yet. i, no. I got to make you go back for a second. Who is ranking a barber near a special operator in terms of the right to be evacuated from Afghanistan and brought here? If you look at the way the special immigration visa is set up, and again, it was not meant to be malicious. It was meant to allow for, for uh, exfiltration of civilians who worked with the United States government. So it's a technicality. Afghan special operators worked for the Afghan government. And even if they hadn't, they were too busy fighting to apply for a visa. But the way it's shaken out right now is those categories of an Afghan barber, for example, if he worked for the U.S. government, he's in the SIV status, one of the most elevated statuses for exfil. But an Afghan commando is nowhere on the radar, Brian, not even considered and that's what's got to change. You know, I, I admire you. I mean, you're going out of your way to not play politics, and I, uh, you're a better person than me. You're out there sweating it out, eating the sand, desperate, hearing these calls, seeing the frustration, and you keep your level head. I guess that's why you are who you are. Uh, but uh, but um, just knowing Brian, that Brian, things I'm are just, preventable, I, the, the things, this, these yeah. problems are all preventable. That's what's so frustrating me. These are all – this is they foreseeable are. and preventable. They are. And, and I'm just an old retired dude. I tell you, the people we really need to honor this Veterans Day are our veterans and, and family members who are on these phones. And they've been on like, you know, like an ADK 911 call with no relief, man. They've had no relief. Their, their suicide ideations are going up. Their mental health issues are going up. They're the real. If there's heroes on this side of the pond, it's those men and women, those volunteers who will not hang up the phone. They just stay in the fight. They're not giving up. And we really need our politicians and professional military officers at the most senior level to recognize the burden that they have shifted to these men and women who have already run so many miles, and we are causing damage to them, irreparable damage. And we need to wake up as a nation. We need to come together, and we need to relieve them of their watch because they will literally do this until they die. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Now let's back up a second uh, and see if I can keep politics. What is the reality on the ground in Afghanistan? Yeah, the reality on the ground in Afghanistan, first of all, is winter is coming. I mean, we have winter, the Hindu Kush. It is very, very You tough. have three weeks? Both Do you think be three weeks before you, you can't move anybody anymore? I think it's probably about that. And don't forget that every bit of this, Brian, is a private sector effort. So our humanitarian effort, for example, we're managing about a 1,400-person manifest. We maybe have 40 to 50 days of proceeds left, that, but donations that we can keep people alive and in safe houses. And so that has us and a lot of other organizations running out of funds in the dead of winter. There is no financial relief. 
There is nothing right now. This is purely a private sector effort to create and maintain a humanitarian corridor largely led by veterans who are already traumatized, and now they're cashing in their 401ks. They're trying to raise money any way that they can, uh, and they're going to run out of money. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen in the middle of the winter. That's not doom and gloom. That's just straight talk. And we need, again, Congress and Department of State to come in and supplement at least the funding so that we can keep people alive. Okay, yeah, we have to make a bigger deal of this. I would set up, uh, uh, you know, there's there are people out there that can set up these foundations right away. There's no, you wouldn't believe the amount of money that would flow into this nonprofit account. These these veterans have already given enough. You should not be giving one dollar. Your time is already too much, and your expertise yeah. is great, but it should not be your money. And and we have yeah. to set up a foundation yeah. for you guys to replenish and finance. Yeah, one of the things that can happen right now is the NDAA, Congressional Legislation for the Defense Act, is in discussion right now. The Senate could put in language right now that expands the special immigration visa to include Afghan special operations, and they could include bipartisan language to reimburse the, the nonprofits that have already put this tons of money in and are going to put more in and get through the winter. It's, it's that simple. It could be done, but it's typical politics as usual, finger-pointing. And again, we just need people to step up and follow the lead of our veterans. They're showing us the path right now. They are. Uh, so your letter and your book can be uh, can be acquired how? Well, the letter is already out. I'll send you a copy. But what I would love for people to do is watch LastOutFilm.com tomorrow at 9 a.m. It will change your life, Brian. I'm telling you, it's performed by combat veterans who fought in Afghanistan. And we tell the story. We show what happens to the families over 20 years. You'll think that we shot this after the collapse, but we didn't. We just saw it coming. LastOutFilm.com. We're looking for 100,000 views, and it'll really connect the nation, I think, around this hard topic and hopefully get us moving again, a shot in the arm that we need to remind ourselves that we're Americans. Like we are, we, we are the, you know, we are an amazing nation with amazing warriors and amazing military families, and let's celebrate on this Veterans Day and let's get behind them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's amazing what you guys are doing. Uh, and just do you have a number of how many people, uh, how many Americans, American families, as well as legitimate allies, to, we still have to get out? Oh, man, I, I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and, and inc- that includes AMSITS. You're probably pushing up close to 100,000. I, I think I, that's not a stretch at all. What? 100,000? That's including families now, right? So, like, for example, if you have 6,000 Afghan special operators, which we do, then you look at 20,000 family members, right? That's That's what's not being talked about. Like, this is a... This is a massive number, and this is why it was so crazy to shut down Bagram Airfield and Kandahar Airfield before the withdrawal because we had the logistical capacity to do this in an organized way, and we forfeited that. But it doesn't change the reality of the people on the, of what you have on the ground, which is you know 6,000 special operators plus families. That makes twenty to 25,000 probably on the small end, and nobody's talking about that, but it's still the reality. Uh, Scott, thanks for what you're doing. We're going to keep the word out, and I'll get a hold of Fox and Friends and try to do that again. Uh, you know, so uh, and I'll try to do what I can on social media. Uh, thanks for what you're doing. It's amazing because as yeah. Afghanistan falls apart, uh, so are our people, and our people are in more danger every day. Uh, Colonel Scott, man, yeah, thank you. Injury. Yeah, yeah, it follows us home. Thanks, you, Brian. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back with your calls in just a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call 833-600-GOLD to secure your retirement. Hi, I'm Paul Rudd, and you're behind the scenes at my People magazine. (laughs) Sexy, man. Alive? Let's get started, Paul. Are you ready to be sworn in? Absolutely. Raise your right hand and put your left hand on a photo of your own face. Uh, Did you bring a headshot? So I could just use my own face? Yes. Okay. I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. To give the sexiest answers I can. To give the sexiest answers I can. To be a man. To be a man. And stay alive. And stay alive. So help me McConaughey. So help me McConaughey. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, who pro- I won it twice, didn't he? I think I Matthew think so, McConaughey won twice. it twice. So Paul Rudd is the sexiest man of the year? He's- uh, yep, sexiest man alive. Alive. Yes. So, um, what do you think? Is I, he a good? I mean, you consider him a good-looking guy? I do. I think it makes complete sense. I think he's between. He's cute, but then he's just charming, right? Like he's always funny in his movies. He does serious ones too. And then any interview you read that he does, he sort of just warms your heart. Yeah. You don't think he's sexy? No, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I mean, why now? It's not like he had a big movie. It's not like he signed, like, Rocky Seven. if he was the opponent, Stallone's opponent. If he was, uh, you know, if he was in an, a Rambo movie or if he was in a rock movie. But I, I feel mean, like, what's he doing now? Well, I feel like, like the Oscars, it's probably a little political, right? Who gets what, what year? I, I mean, he's left as it gets, by the way. Could be. He probably, he no, does. No, he's he had is. the comments. I, he I know. I've, I've, I've heard some of the things he said. But, uh, okay, congratulations. Good luck with that mantle. All right. Uh, so that's that's great news for him. The other news I found shocking is Brian Williams leaving after 24 years at NBC. I love what they say that Brian Williams, who exaggerated some stories on NBC, exaggerated or made them up entirely. It's, well, I hope they spin my life story like that. I doubt they will. <laughs> right. So what does he do now? Well, they said he's not retiring and he's excited for the next chapter which will be interesting. But they also say how MSNBC now will have a programming problem because they're losing him. Maddow will now go to sort of like a weekly show and people are leaving. So it's going to be interesting. All right. Uh, talk about interesting. Uh, the free, President Freedom Fighter is now out. The, the special is now on Fox Nation. Tonight, I'm going to be, if you're in the Connecticut area, uh, Madison, Connecticut, RJ Julia shop. Uh, I'll be there around 6 or 7, right? It's going to be packed. Yep. Uh, Doylestown, packed. Almost sold out. Salem United Church of Christ. Albany, New York. My first time upstate. The Book House of Stuyvesant Plaza signing. I'll give a little talk first. Elkhart, Indiana. This is going to be the big noise event at the Lerner Theater. They say it's it's impossible to sell out. So it's always one of my favorite times of year. You too, Allison. You're going, right? Yeah, it's always great. We will be there. And um, yeah, they said the uh, venue is stunning. Right. Vero Beach. I'm signing in Vero Beach at the Book Center on Tuesday, November 16th. And don't forget to get tickets to Orlando, Florida. The Plaza Live Sunday. It's going to be great. It's the biggest venue yet. That is all my books on stage. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're keeping an eye on a, a case I haven't talked about much on the radio, but I've been watching and reading. Kyle Rittenhouse. I remember him with happened in Kenosha. And you remember he was the one who uh, shot three people, killed two. It was in self-defense. And it's just amazing what we're seeing, uh, that most of the prosecution witnesses are actually helping the defendant We'll talk about that in a second. According to reports, John Roberts is in studio. I'm looking for a second source. And Allison has confirmed it. So, John, I, you are here. And Charles Payne, at the bottom of the hour, we got to make sense of what's happening in their economy. Uh, John's getting set to host his show between 1 and 3 with Sandra Smith, finally back in, in studio together. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. At what point will you ask them to also start checking for VAX cards for 5- to 11-year-olds? That's a very good question, and honestly, one we need to focus on now. We wanted to get to the day where we actually could vaccinate the youngest New Yorkers and get that rolling. Wow, that's great. Uh, As predicted, they're coming for the kids. Mandate mania. Can you imagine you can't go to a gym, a game, a restaurant, or or go indoors to a concert? Because your kid doesn't have his right paperwork. That's where we're heading. New York will start it. San Francisco, Chicago, and Philadelphia will follow. Number two. What we're seeing now is this multi-layer connection between the Clinton campaign and this scandal. And it seems very clear that Durham believes that this was basically a a campaign effort to dupe the FBI, and the FBI fell for it. Jonathan Turley, not a conspiracy theorist, just a fine legal mind, seeing what Jonathan Durham is doing, moving on up the chain of command on the Clinton campaign. I think they're heading right towards Hillary and the people that wanted to make a counter-narrative to her email scandal and muddy up Donald Trump. Instead, they muddied up the entire presidency. We'll talk about what Durham's doing. Number one. The U.S. Energy Information Administration forecasts all major home heating bills will increase significantly because of higher fuel costs and potentially colder weather this winter. Hurting every aspect of our lives. That's what the lack of action on economic stresses is doing to the American people. All items, energy prices spike, supplies wane, the products, the gas prices, and how John Kerry's green economy is taking the green out of all of our pockets. And with me right now to talk about anything. Well, John, I'll throw out any question about anything. You'll answer them, right? You've prepared everything. All right. This is lightning round. Go ahead. All right. First off, uh, out of everything we've talked about, I should have made number two, number one. And that is the dorm investigation. And I could just imagine that you're sitting there and 99 percent of the White House press corps is convinced that somehow the number one story is Trump Russia. And as you look at the dorm investigation and you see it deconstruct the whole Russian narrative. And before I get specific, what are your thoughts now? Because you were you were an army of one. Yeah, but I was because— Just I, skeptical. You weren't taking it aside. You were skeptical. I wanted to make sure that we had all the facts, whereas many of my colleagues didn't care about the facts. They just cared about what people were saying. It's the only topic. Around with it because if you could say something negative about President Trump back then, if you were part of the legacy mainstream media, you almost would take the ball and just and run with it. And now we're seeing— Durham come out with all of this information that uh, not only was the entire Russia collusion investigation predicated on a falsehood, but people were lying to the FBI about their sourcing. And now even Eric Wemple from The Washington Post, who's often highly critical of Fox News, is now turning his eye back on The Washington Post and other media organizations saying, 
you've got some explaining to do about why you ran with this narrative with very little proof. And even yesterday on The View, when Morgan Ortegas was going head-to-head against Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff said, well, who could have, in the early days of this investigation, ever considered that people were lying about it? Hello? It was a political campaign. What do people do in a political campaign? They don't always tell the truth. And by the way, that's what he accused Donald Trump of doing every single day, lying. Here's that exchange, cut 15. You defended, promoted, you even read into the congressional record, the Steele dossier. Um, and we know last week the main source of the dossier was indicted by the FBI for lying about most of the key claims in that dossier. First of all, whoever lied to the FBI or lied to Christopher Steele should be prosecuted. But you the made president also spread Russian disinformation get... yourself for years by promoting this. I think that's what Republicans and what people who entrusted you as the Intel Committee chair are so confused about your culpability in all of this. Well, I completely disagree with your premise. Uh, It's one thing to say allegations should be investigated, and they were. Mm -hmm. It's another to say that we should have foreseen in advance that some people were lying to Christopher Steele. But let's not use that as a smokescreen to somehow shield Donald Trump's culpability for inviting Russia to help him in the election, which they did, for trying to coerce Ukraine into helping him in the next election. None of that is undercut. None of that serious misconduct is in any way diminished by the fact that people lied to Christopher Steele. No, I think just your credibility is. <laughs> see, see how he told, uh, first of all, he totally skewed. We're talking about the Ukraine investigation. We're talking about those comments he made I'm, I'm uh, sorry. on the <laughs> campaign trail. I'm sorry. If, if people lie, they should be prosecuted. But it doesn't change the overall narrative that Donald Trump did bad things during the campaign, which the entire investigation was predicated on a lie. I mean, it's stunning that he can continue with that narrative to me. As a journalist, for him to be able to to have the temerity to say what he said there to Morgan, based on the fact that we now know, according to some very learned legal minds, including Andy McCarthy, that this whole thing was predicated on a falsehood, how he sticks to that idea that let's not let the fact that people lied get in the way of Donald Trump doing bad things, which, by the way, people lied about him doing. So I'm just going to explain a little bit about what's unfolded that we can confirm. This guy, Chuck Dolan Jr., who was an aide to Strobe Talbert during the Clinton years and considering very tight with the family and a Democratic operative with great Russia connections, actually worked with this guy, Dushenko, who is the Russian that was just indicted Mm -hmm. and pleaded not guilty today. And he was the one who got information, perhaps from Dolan. He, Dushenko, who sounds Russian and is, but is linked with the Brookings Institute, a liberal think tank, gets that information, which is a collection of fiction, we now know, gives it to Steele. It becomes the Steele dossier. So this paid for in part by the DNC and the Clinton campaign, which was one and the same because the DNC was out of money and and washed through Perkins Coy, the um, legal team for the Clinton campaign. So Steele is so determined to get this in the mainstream. He goes and starts meeting in the fall prior to the election with different media outlets. He gets a susceptible arm in Mother Jones. They publish this story. They have the dossier. It gets to McCain's hands and others. It gets dropped on everybody's desk. It's like, listen, Trump is bad guy. Look at this dossier. Assuming that it's correct. And having said all that, it comes forward, uh, this goes out, and then BuzzFeed says, I see this dossier, I'll publish it. I don't know if it's valid, but I'll just publish it. Sure. 
Comey goes, the FBI might be true, it might not be true, but it's out there. So you're sitting there in the White House press briefing when the president wins and then he's president-elect and you're hearing of how he's corrupt. This is not real. You're watching Flynn go down. You're watching KT McFarlane go down. You're watching McMaster come in. You're seeing this happen. It's all the whole Russia probe. Your attorney general, he's compromised. He worked on the campaign. He is now out. we got to get a special counsel. Now think about this. If all this proves to be as true as it is, if you're Donald Trump, you're saying— what the hell is happening? I have no connections to Russia. Here's the stunning part of all of this for me. How long did Bob Mueller investigate this? Is it two years? How many people did he have on his team? How much did he spend? How much did he spend? How many interviews did he do? How many raids? And he didn't find this stuff out that Durham is finding out. Now, Durham's been at this for a long time, and it's, it's very meticulous and very slow in developing. But if Mueller did a thorough investigation that led to this report that a lot of people say did not exonerate Trump, in fact, it damned him even further, why didn't he find any of this? I, that's the part that I don't You don't understand. have an answer to that. That's not rhetorical. You don't have an answer I to that. I don't have an answer. Well, when you saw Mueller testify, clearly he's a shell of what he was, right? I mean, he was not—he did not seem well. He couldn't put a sentence together. He didn't know it was in his own report. He was the king of England in this report. I mean, he basically mm-hmm. just handed it off. So I don't know who did this investigation. I guess it was that guy, the lawyer that ended up on MSNBC with the deal, who was leaking all this information. So this came out. I'm going to think about this. And people are getting caught up and saying, Brian, why are you talking about Russia? I'm just trying to tell you that the American people lost because we had a president that was totally hamstrung. And we have all of his workers, his supporters, his cabinet members were totally distracted. And we just watched Cash Patel on our channel with Dana Perino and Bill Hammer say his legal fees because of investigation. More than $100,000. More than $100,000. He had to open it up. So it's, it's, we're back again to all this. Think about Michael Flynn's career. Think about KT McFarland's career. Now, KT of, was talking about it as, as well, saying that this whole investigation took down her career. She was out of the public eye for two years as she tried to lay low and, and rebuild her future. It, it, it took down so many people. On, on an investigation that was predicated on a lot. Jonathan Turley said it's now confirmed that Barack Obama was briefed as president his final month that Hillary Clinton's campaign in an effort to distract from her Hillary her email scandal concocted this whole thing. So he knew it. And the other thing who knew it is Jake Sullivan. And this is why you should care. Jake Sullivan's a national security advisor to the president of the United States. And he has been unveiled as the foreign policy advisor involved in this disinformation, who the one lied that, under oath. The one that Michael Sussman, who was indicted by Durham, talked to about this. So all this stuff about the Russia hoax, this phony, all of it is, it was a total scam. And everyone involved in every, all the reporting. And I just wonder who knew and who was duped. Like, does McCabe know he's being duped? Does, does Strzok know he's being duped? Does, do all these characters, did, do, are they naive? Did they care if they were being duped? Here's some bad, <clears throat> excuse me, long COVID continues. Um, did, did they care? Anything bad about Trump seemed to end up on the front page of the newspaper, whether it was verified or not. And a lot of very big news organizations had to quietly, in corrections, take it back. We've seen that a number of times. So covering that White House, anytime anything bad about Trump came to the surface, it would almost instantaneously fire across the media universe. And I found myself at times, because I had some very good sources inside the whole Trump apparatus, being the only person who was saying, well, wait a second, that's not what 
several people who are close to the president are saying, oh, you're just buying into their lies. Well, guess who bought into the lies? Not me. I'll play it out from inside. You know, you weren't the only one with access. There's a lot of people who wrote a lot of negative things about the president who he kept giving access to. And if they wanted to get the president's point of view, they could have got it and used it and say the president's pushing back hard on this. They, they, did, they, they could have, but, you know, for the most part, I mean, that whole thing with Trump and, uh, and Woodward and, and other people, Trump was trying Maggie to— Maggie Haberman con- nonstop. He was trying to control the narrative, thought that he could charm people into writing something nice about him, which was a naive perspective because people were only out— to sell books. They were not to sell wonderful books like The President and the Freedom Fighter, which tells the truth about Abraham Lincoln History. and uh, Frederick Douglass. They wanted to sell books about just how rotten and horrible Donald Trump was, according to their perspective. And so if there was anything that would exonerate Trump, that wasn't something that they wanted to consider. And I want to talk about something else when we get back, including your show, What Do You Have Today at One? But I will say this. What I always appreciated with you, no matter who you're working for, is you were, you knew this was the president of the United States. You had a tone of respect. What I really appreciate about Peter Ducey, he's polite. You know, he's like, well, I, what about this? He have a follow-up. He'd be direct, but there's always a sense of deference. That's mm-hmm. the way we were brought up. That's the way the tone they took with Trump was he was the worst person on the planet. How dare you sit and, in front and of me? the reason was because if you got up in Trump's face based on who he was before he became president, you could launch your media career by doing that. I never felt the need to launch a media career, so I just played it straight the entire way through. Right. Uh, and for the most part, people are nice to Jen Psaki and, and deferential to the president. They're not short-tempered. They're not sighing. They're not yelling at him like Jim Acosta was yelling at him at times. It's like, who's the president here? I mean, from time to time, you you got frustrated. Yeah. A couple of times that He got mad at you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and I probably got upset with them, too, at one or two points. But, you know, in, in the overall, I had very good relationships with everyone from the president on down. And uh, it, it was an interesting four years. We'll see if it's a Grover Cleveland situation. And we'll we're back. <laughs> comes back. And will they grab John Roberts back? When we come back, what, what else is on tap today? We're watching Kyle Rittenhouse talk. We're watching the president go over to the, the Baltimore docks to try to get a hold of the supply chain. Go to Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, we watched the vice president of the United States addressing a left-wing educational group uh, that's run by George Soros. So that that really helps. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Back in a moment. The Brian Kilmeade Show, bringing you breaking news first. Joining us now is uh, John Roberts, uh, right from uh, the White House. Brian, yeah. I'm sorry. Can I put you on hold for a second? I'm sorry. I've got an official I need to talk to right now. You don't want to miss a minute. Can you come back to me in 90 seconds? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be the first to hear it. Hear it first with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. As it relates to energy prices, to have some of those potentially double along the way, they shut down the Democrats shut down the Keystone Pipeline. They locked up the access to petroleum products off of uh, uh, public lands. They don't want to do anything at Anwar. They 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 don't want to do these things that allow. A- 
Americans to live a quality of life that they need to live. And to have the gas prices go up, that's going to affect absolutely every single person. And it's all self-inflicted by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's up 60%. Uh, John Roberts here. He's getting uh, getting to host his show at 1. John, before, I want to get rushed. Who do you have coming up on your show, America Reports, with Sandra? Uh, we're going to be talking with Morgan Ortegas uh, today Perfect. about her dust-up with Adam Schiff yesterday. Uh, Mark Siegel is going to be on talking about uh, the latest uh, COVID uh, summit that Anthony Blinken uh, had. Uh, Did he and, go? It, no, he it, he didn't go to it, no. But it was a like a multi-nation uh, summit talking about COVID and the way forward, but we still don't know about the origins of COVID. We don't even think that China was involved in this. Uh, Larry Kudlow will be coming up, Tom Homan, and Joe Piscopo is going to join us as well to talk about Nancy Pelosi at that wedding uh, the other day, maskless, along with all the other movers and shakers. As well as New Jersey. My goodness, what a message that was. Almost won the governor's race. The truck driver, $153, uh, kicked out the state senator who was supposed to be the next governor. Truck driver on a Harley. you got to love that. Right. And so that's, that's good information. Also, we got the Rittenhouse story. Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, who uh, shot two people and is on trial for murder, will spend the rest of his life in prison, just broke down on the stand. Uh, just a quick question about you. Out of everything that you've done in your career, where is it, being at Fox— what is what has it been like? How different is this place and your job as to other places from CNN to CBS? Uh, this is the best place I've ever worked. It really is. The uh, it's it's the philosophy of Fox News. It's the people who work here, and not just you, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I love, is there anybody besides I, me? I love Brian Kilme, but literally to a person, everyone that works here at Fox has has got a great perspective on life. They got a great perspective on the news. They've got a great perspective on competition. And it's reflected in the ratings, the, the fact that the Fox News Channel gets more viewers than CNN and MSNBC combined. And on election night, more than doubled their combined numbers is an indication that we're, we're doing something that people can appreciate. And, and here's the thing that a lot of people at home don't understand. We have a large number of independents who watch Fox News, and we even have a substantial number of Democrats Absolutely. who watch Fox News. It's better program, it's counter program. We all do our own thing, and now you know exactly what you're going to be doing between 1 and 3 every day, unlike the White House correspondent job, which never ends. It, it, it's nice, you know, and, and hats off to Peter Ducey. He's doing a fabulous job, and Jackie Heinrich as well, and everybody, the whole team over there at the White House. I blew my brains out for 18 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, covering the election and the Trump administration, so... It's, it's nice to be able to go home and see my kids once in a while. Absolutely. And Sandra Smith is great to work with, she even is. in two She's different terrific. places. Hey, listen, one to three, watch America Reports. When we come back, uh, we find out, go inside the economy. It's some stunning numbers with Charles Payne, as good as it gets uh, in business. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're energy independent. This administration comes in, the first thing they do is cancel the Keystone Pipeline. Second thing they do, no, no new leases on public lands for energy production. So the president is now begging OPEC to increase production to reduce our gas prices because because of his own actions, it makes no sense. 
And that's what Mitch McConnell was saying. He's not pretending to be an economist. He's just being practical and political. He's saying, listen, are you kidding? It's These things are within our grasps to fix. Inflation for October, in case you do not know, it came across at 8.30 Eastern time, hotter than expected, rising 0.9% from a month ago compared to the 0.6% expected, which was high. Consumers are paying 6.2% more for their goods. All six major food groups over the last 12 months, prices are on the rise. Meat, beef, pork on the rise. Gasoline up 50%. Fuel oil, 60%. Let's bring in Charles Payne. Charles, instead of talking about investing like you were doing at your forum and how to make the most of our money, this is about holding on to our money, isn't it? It is, and uh, and it's it's the cat's out of the bag, right? Everybody knows this. You know, it's not even about necessarily trying to be an economist. And the numbers you referred to this morning, everyone listening knew it, right? Wall Street maybe just crunched them and put them out there, or the government, but everyone knows and everyone can see this, and this is why people are extraordinarily upset. These, this has been bubbling up for so long. I want to add one more thing. Uh, we just got the data on what real wages were in October. Because, you know, we always get these numbers and they say, okay, wages went up, let's say, 5%. It sounds good. Okay, 5% is fine. You go into the store with more money, you come out with less, with less bags. That's because, for instance, in October, real wages were down 5 tenths of a percent. It's a huge number. They have been down every single month except two this year. That's homes. That's people listening to this radio show. These are people who are trying to figure out how to make ends meet when their real incomes are going down precipitously because of inflation. So how much is preventable, Charles? You, you know this stuff better than anyone. How much is policy? Oh, a ton is policy. Let's go by the – let's start with the categories. First, energy slash gasoline. Call off the war. Call off the war on fossil fuels. You announced to the world you were going to destroy this industry. I'm sure you've seen this video floating around with the nominee for controller of the currency, who actually said it was necessary to put small American businesses, oil businesses, bankrupt, to make them bankrupt. This is what this administration wants. They want to bankrupt companies. We lost 120,000 workers in the oil industry in the last year. There's 900,000 left. They are essentially saying they want the other 900,000 to join the 120,000 on the unemployment line as they go begging OPEC to produce more oil. They're begging Russia to produce more oil. We can, we can be producing it here better, cleaner, faster, creating more prosperity and economic opportunities. And by the way, they could take the taxes from that to fund the, the clean energy agenda. It's just that you cannot make it happen overnight. So that's extremely preventable. They've gone to war, and the casualties are every American household. Number two, supply chain. You see all those ships backed up uh, in, in, yeah. in California. Well, today, uh, President Biden's going to go down, I think, to the Port of Baltimore. Pretty empty. Why are they backed up at the Port of California? Remember that bill, AB5? They came out, uh, and it was really, they wanted to unionize Uber and Lyft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, well, 70% of the truck drivers in California are independent contractors. They're impacted by AB5. They can't even go in there. They, 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 so, again, preventable. Why, why are you attacking independent businesses, small businesses? Someone owns one rig. Why are you crushing their ability to make money? Okay, we all pay the price for it. Uh, the stimmies. 
that last round of money, $1.9 trillion, it was completely 1,000% unnecessary. We did not need it. 50% went to pay down bills. 30% of it was saved. That is a lot of money. People took 30% when shopping. Well, that drove prices up. Here's the tough thing. When you do work and somehow you don't qualify for these things, and you go to the store and people who didn't work at all, for whatever reason, are driving up the prices of things that you want and need. And by the way, you worked for You had to hit the alarm clock in the morning. Then you're like, golly, it's 5 o'clock again already? <laughs> so, yeah. And that's the resentment. That's the resentment. I watch this stuff so closely, Brian. I know, I when, know. I know when it's economic news is going to become Main Street news like three or four months ahead of time. And it always centers around independence. When you see that needle start to move about with the independence, that's when you know something's wrong. Absolutely. I want you to hear just a flash of how you say this, how they could have handled things. Here's what they said about things. Cut three. The tragedy of the short, the treadmill that's delayed. What is the Granholm plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. Would that I had the magic wand on this. If we were all going out and having lunch together and I said, Let's ask whoever the, whoever's in the next table, no matter how, wh- what restaurant we're in, have, have them explain the supply chain to us. Think they'd understand what's, what we're talking about? Okay, that's a big help, isn't it? Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. You know, on top of it all, this is like Nero. I mean, that's a version of playing the fiddle right there while, while Rome burns down. So yesterday, the, the New York Fed, they do this thing where they uh, survey consumers, and they ask them about everything, housing and all. And this is very important because the Federal Reserve bases its policies in part, not where the numbers are, but where they think we think they're going to be. So where we think one-year inflation is going to be is 5.7%. That is absolutely uh, – that's a, by far a record. Three years, 4.2%, which means that this is persistent and won't go away. In those numbers, what's also intriguing to me when I looked at it, so uh, people with a high school diploma or less or just some college, their numbers were at around 6% and 6.2%. Folks with a BA, a bachelor's degree or more, they were under 5%, like 4.5%. What does this tell you? The crowd that Joe Biden runs around with, inflation doesn't bother them. Yep. They don't know it exists. And, and this, is, uh, this is why he had to go around the restaurant to tables because the, here's the joke. The joke was on him. That that you know that uh, somehow everybody at his table understood this, and yet they didn't understand. They don't understand the pain they're causing everybody else at, the, at that restaurant. That was the real yeah. joke. I know yeah. it is, and the thing is too. By the way, we can we can fundamentally explain the supply chain. It is very easy. You don't have trucks. You can't unload chips, and we can't get it to the shelves. That's why our stuff is missing. Gasoline's up 50%, fuel oil 59%, natural gas up 28%, electricity rising at 6.5%. And they say turkeys are running out. They say out of the, uh, we, there will be something that we can't get for Thanksgiving this year. I know that is a fortunate problems, but it's also something Americans are not used to. We're not to we don't want to lower our standards. Uh, we don't want to stop ordering stuff. I'm pretty sure that's not the American way. But I want to bring you to this. This is what I heard the other day, and you just uh, unwind this. It doesn't matter that America is not pumping as much or drilling on private lands. It's a global market. Uh, no matter how much we pump, it wouldn't have affected the prices because we're not selling to ourselves. What's the reality on energy? Oh, boy. <laughs> We're not. We don't have to sell to our. We are selling to ourselves. We pump it here, and our oil companies, you know, distribute it to gasoline stations. I mean, so that's kind of dumb in the first place. But the 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 less amount that we have to import from overseas, 
the better off we are. That money stays here. It creates investments. It creates jobs. It lets people send their kids to college. Also stops us from uh, sending money overseas that eventually ends up in the hands of terrorists or, or, or rogue regimes. Uh, so that's that's one of the dumbest. It is a global it is a global commodity. There's no doubt about that, and it can be swayed by actions around the world, but it can also be swayed by the fact that we became the number one oil producer in the world through 20 years of innovation, hard work, and dedication, and great investments. We took dry oil wells and we learned how to frack them. We learned how to bring them back to life. When we brought them back to life, we brought cities back to life. We brought towns back to life. We brought entire states back to life. Whoever said that is a complete idiot about real life. They live. In a, they live in a laboratory somewhere, and they're crunching numbers, and they, they need to meet more human beings. Okay. I want you to tell me I, – I appreciate you saying that. I want you to hear what Harold Ford uh, said yesterday on your favorite, one of your favorite shows outside <laughs> this one and yours uh, on The Five. Cut seven. This is not a binary choice, either you end fossil fuels and pursue a complete green energy platform. If I were in the administration tonight, I would definitely tap the strategic oil reserve, not because it's going to solve the problem, but it sends a message to the world that we're willing to do uh, things to, to enable ourselves to be sufficient. Two, we should, he should reverse the XL pipeline uh, decision, largely because I think it, it, it does the first thing I said, that it, it signals to the world how serious we are. And if you think about that, pipeline it's it's having that it's transporting that heavier crude which we can refine here I'd modernize, modernize our pipelines here in the country. We have to. Again, we we're not saying we don't believe that green energy is the future, but we have to sustain ourselves now. So he's just talking about as a center-left democrat doing the things that are going to affect people's lives without he doesn't have to necessarily become a republican. Can you possibly do something to help the country? What do you better think about some of these things, some symbolic that he talks about doing? I love him. I love him. I mean, you're right about the strategic petroleum reserve. I don't, I don't, we don't really have to hit that if we do the rest of the things. And here's the thing. You know, this, there's a thing out there called the ESG movement. Uh, environmental sustainability uh, and governance, and it is a juggernaut. You know, for all the stories that Fox does about wokeness and yeah. this college did that and this and this school did this, this is the juggernaut. <laughs> this is this right now. I think about ten, twenty, ten, twenty trillion dollars worth of investing dollars are under this so-called ESG guys, and this is why you can't get big projects. You can't invest them in this country. The big oil projects that we would like to produce. Yep. Because the, the Wall Street won't put the money in there anymore. Uh, and so what we've created here is we need the president to use the bully pulpit to say, Wall Street, yes, it's okay to invest in American companies and American jobs because we are going to transition. It's going to be an orderly transition. It's going to be a brilliant, smart transition. It's not going to be one that destroys the hope and dreams of American people by spiking inflation through the roof where they can barely make ends meet. We're not going to get there. You know, it's ironic that anyone would talk about oil being a global product. Well, climate change is a global product. And, and if the biggest polluters in the world aren't doing anything about it, why should we sacrifice our own prosperity? It is so dumb. You know, I, I, I equate it to, to folks, uh, the primitive uh, or countries where people lived next to a volcano and thought they had to make sacrifices to the volcano gods, you know, to stop it from erupting. That's what we're doing. We're making sacrifices to the climate change volcano god when we don't have to. I love the analogy. Even I can understand it. Uh, Charles Payne, how was, how was your conference yesterday? You had a, young, a lot of first-time investors, people talking about getting into the market. What was your approach with that town hall? 
It was so amazing, Brian. It, it exceeded my expectations. I got, I just got goosebumps just now. Um, you know, I have been an advocate for everyone investing in the market my whole life. It got me out of Harlem, out of the ghetto, out of poverty. Uh, it allowed me to send my son to college. He graduates from college next month. Uh, he'll graduate debt-free. It allowed me to buy my mother a house in her hometown. Uh, and the house I bought her, she couldn't go to when she was a kid because blacks weren't allowed on that side of town unless they were servants. It allowed me to buy my daughter and my granddaughter a house last month. It is so amazing. It is, and it's, uh, you know, every day we, we are in the market. Everything we touch is connected to the stock market. And I've always just argued and, and said, own this. Be part owner of these companies instead of just giving them your money. So we're in the middle of an investor revolution that just is blowing my mind. What I love about it most is that these are folks who are saying, Wall Street, we want to kind of do it different. You know, because you told my mom that if she loaded up on IBM, General, General Electric, General Motors, and ExxonMobil, and didn't worry about it, 20 years later, she'd be okay. Well, 20 years later, she was down 40%. So we want to do it a little bit different. And if you call us dumb because of that, it's okay. You know, And so that's why I love this revolution. Mm -hmm. People are taking their financial destinies in their hands, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Wow, and you started with uh, – did you start with a lot of money in, uh, in the market? No, I started with a thousand dollars. You know, I bought my first mutual fund when I was seventeen. I started working when I was twelve. So you know, always kind of household had a little money here and there. Summer jobs, this, that, shovel snow, clean windshields, at red lights, whatever I had to do. Um, and I saved up a grand. I bought my first mutual fund when I was 17. My mom had to co-sign for me because I wasn't old enough. And then a year later, after joining the Air Force, I bought my first stock, a company called MCI. People remember MCI, but it was a different company back then. And what, know what made me love it? I read this article about this maverick, and this guy was taking on the biggest corporation in the world, AT&T. You know how he was doing it? He was piggybacking rooftop antennas. Remember the old antennas we everyone sure. had on their roof? Yep. He was using those to create a, a, a communication system to rival the biggest juggernaut in the world. I loved it. I said, this is my kind of guy. I'm putting my money with him, and I did extraordinarily well. So, that, you know, that's how I started. And you have an aptitude for it, and you outstudy everybody. Uh, Charles, he's a host of Making Money with Charles Payne. Uh, weekdays from 2 to 3 on FBN. Charles, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, buddy. It. You got it. Uh, when we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. Rosenbaum was now running from my right side. Um, and... I was cornered from in front of me with Mr. Zeminski, and there were <laughs> there were three people right there. That's hard to listen to. That's Kyle Rittenhouse. He's a young man who uh, had a had a uh, had a rifle with him when he went down to Kenosha to try to bring some peace there. He ends up getting confronted by uh, some protesters, rioters, aggressively went after him. From what I saw in the video, it was totally self-defense. But they're playing it out now. He's on the stand. 
prosecution is rested, and this is defense, and they asked him to bring him through the exact moment when he fired his gun, and at that point he uh, lost his composure. He's now back on the stand speaking. Man, what drama is taking place here? And so far the prosecution has really stepped in it because people are afraid of lying, and they know that this guy was in self-defense, in my humble opinion, and you see some of the clips to saying that, did, did you? why did he hit you? Why did he shoot you? Well, I pointed my gun at him. That's exactly what self-defense is. If the gun is pointed at you, you're allowed to shoot that person. You don't have to take a bullet in order to hit one back. So uh, shoot one back. So if you've seen all the video and you see all the angles, of course there's going to be people who cry. If he, he's found innocent, he should be. But if there's going to be people who cry racism. But it was the rampant uh, looting and destroying of a city what prompted him to go out and guard for store owners because the cops weren't. The cops saw him. They waved to him. They knew he was no threat. Uh, however, he was a threat to the protesters who were upset about uh, a shooting that took place earlier. And regarding the breakdown, Jonathan Turley tweeted out um, that the defense has done, done a strong job on direct and uh, that the defense attorneys often do not want to risk such a testimony like this. However, it's a clear strategy that they're aiming for an acquittal, not just a hung jury. He said with the prosecution's witnessing witnesses imploding early, it would have been tempting just to minimize the risk and not put Rittenhouse on the stand. However, the move could have left lingering doubts with the juror. So if they wanted to nail the acquittal, they were putting him on the stand. Wow. What do you think about that? I mean, that sounds genius. It's like go for the knockout. I don't want to go to the cards. I want I want the knockout. I want this thing stopped. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That, we we have the clip from last night, right? I don't know if we have time. We're going to run out of time. We right? have the music playing. Sorry. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. But, yeah, we're going to see this. Uh, and I also have an inside source on, on this case, and, and he's pretty famous. And I hopefully, he said, when this case is over, he's going to come forward, and I'll bring him to this show. I'll see you at RJ Julia tonight in Connecticut. I'll see you Thursday in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. I'll see you Friday in Albany, New York. Be there. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.